Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Be seated. The dangers of working nights. One of them is sleeplessness. I am sure many of you work nights and had, had to balance the obligation of that with the things normal people do in the daytime. Often that is done by simply pressing on and being awake for 24 hours or longer. If you've done this for any length of time, you have experienced the results. One gent, a fellow nurse of mine from Kokomo, recounted how he was awoken one morning sitting at a stoplight while headed north at US 31 in Westfield. It was a gentle on the driver's side window of his truck. A semi-driver behind him had gotten out of the cab, walked up to the side of the car, and was like, and thankfully he was sleeping with his foot firmly on the brake pedal. On more than one occasion, I stopped and rested my eyes in the parking lot of Kroger and Westfield on the way home from a night shift. My eyelids were simply too heavy to go the remaining only six or so miles. And more than once, I nearly took out a mailbox or ran over the curb into a neighbor's lawn, only two-tenths of a mile from home. Surely you have had similar experiences, maybe driving on vacation, maybe up with a sick child all night, or with a wife in labor. You're so tired that you can't fight fatigue anymore and you drift off to slumber. We should all be able to identify with Peter, James, and John as they succumb to exhaustion in Gethsemane while Jesus steadfastly watched and prayed to his Father. It had been a busy, exciting, scary, confusing, roller coaster week for the disciples. No wonder they had sleepy eyes and just needed to see the inside of their eyelids for a while. Who knows if Peter, James, and John had gotten any shut eye since they had heard the sermon from Jesus about staying awake and watching for the last day. Maybe they had taken him quite literally. On top of that, what could be more sleep-inducing than watching another person pray? And as far as their own praying, well, haven't you ever nodded off during your own prayers? They reclined on the soft grass in the garden. The cool night air was perfect for sleeping. A nap was inevitable, right? Indeed it was. It was sinful that they didn't do just as Jesus had told them. But let's be honest, neither would we have if we had been there in their shoes. Now is not the time for self-righteousness and Peter, James, and John bashing, though. It happened the way it had to happen. This event teaches us to identify sinful humans, even believers, as sleepyheads whose willing spirit cannot overcome the weakness of their flesh. On the other hand, this scene identifies Jesus as the Lord of Israel, who neither slumbers nor sleeps, whose eyes were only set on doing God's will. When it came time for all righteousness to be fulfilled and all the sin of the world to be paid for, it had to be Jesus. Jesus. Only Jesus. He had to be the only one awake to preserve, to persevere, I'm sorry, through the home stretch of his of his active obedience, and to suffer the pangs of hell in his passive obedience, and then to sleep the sleep of death in the tomb for us men and for our salvation. 
Tonight's passion reading places before our eyes the depths of woe the depths of woe Jesus would suffer for us. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, sorrowful, troubled, even to the point of his sacred heart failing right then and there. The weight of the world's sins pressed down on him. He fell upon his face in weakness and trembling, begging, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. The cup Jesus spoke of was the cup of his Father's wrath against all sin of the world. God's wrath is his unmitigated anger, a furious outpouring of condemnation, the fires and torments of hell. Jesus did not want to drink that cup. Perfect, sinless, holy Jesus, whose will was truly perfect, prayed that he would not have to drink the cup of God's wrath. And he knew that it was possible for his Father to change things. This teaches us that the death and hell are not good or, desire, or desirable for humans. Death, decay, and eternal suffering was not part of God's plan for humanity. 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 Those are consequences of Adam's fall, which involve us all, except for Jesus. He was sinless. He didn't merit death. He didn't deserve to drink the cup of God's wrath. So his prayer certainly wasn't cowardly or faithless, but it was the language of faith in God for whom all things are possible. Now, I did leave out some essential words from Jesus' prayers. He did not stop with, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He continued, yet not what I will, but what you will. Again he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And a third time he prayed the same prayer. And then the father answered his son's prayer with, while it was possible for the father to remove the cup, the father's will was for Jesus to suffer, to spare you. The father answered Jesus' prayer by giving his son the strength to accept his good and gracious will, and the son willingly went into captivity when Judas showed up to betray him. Moments later, Jesus said that all this was done to let the scriptures be fulfilled. Surely the scripture recorded in Isaiah 53 is in the background here. There, the suffering servant of the Lord is said to be stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of God's people, even though he had done no violence and no lies were upon his lips. Why all this punishment on the innocent victim? Isaiah writes, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The Father willed to crush his own son and make him an offering for the guilt of our sin. Those of us who are parents can't even begin to wrap our minds around how a father could love us sinners enough to pour out his wrath against his own son. It torments us to see our own children suffer. How could God kill his own son? We must receive this news with awe and thanksgiving that the Lord has done this to save us from our sins. We simply trust God's word, which says that his good and gracious will was to love us by sacrificing his only begotten son. But the, father's, but the father eternally loves his son, and Isaiah's prophecy did not stop with the death of Jesus. 
It pointed forward to Easter when Jesus appeared to the disciples, gazed upon them with living eyes, and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, their eyes looked upon his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. His nail-marked hands speak of God's goodwill toward you and all sinners. Peace be with you. The scars on his hands reveal the good and gracious will of God, that peace between God and man has been made by him who was delivered up for our sins and was raised up for our justification. Through all this, Jesus had eyes only for his Father's will, and through this fulfilled what he had told his disciples in John 6. I have, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The good and gracious will of God is that you set your eyes on the Son, believe in him, and have eternal life as a free gift. With that good news in mind, you can fall asleep in peace each night, awake to serve him each morning, and when your eyes eventually go to sleep in death, be confident that they will awaken to everlasting life in the resurrection. In the name of Jesus. Amen.